for today, so if you'll find your place in God's Word through whatever medium you are looking, whether it's an iPad, a cell phone, or just a good old-fashioned book, the way the Lord intended it. (laughs) I'll be reading from my New American Standard. We're going to read verses 1 through verse number 12. So here we go. Our friends, the Israelites, under the leadership and command of General Joshua, have now crossed the river. Their feet are standing on the soil of the promised land that God had promised to give to them 400 years earlier. But they are also standing on enemy territory. Uh, Do you know... What God wants to give you today is usually already occupied. Did you know that? It's occupied by the enemy. And God has given it to us, but there again in a certain sense, we've got to take it. Have you noticed that this spiritual life and this journey that we're on, it's a fight, isn't it? It's an uphill battle. It seems that enemies proliferate. Obstacles are everywhere. But nonetheless, God has given you victory and abundant life and He's called you to a preferred future. And it's yours. But it does require a few things from us. So here we go. Look at Joshua chapter 5, verse number 1. Now it came about when all the kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan to the west, all the kings of the Canaanites who were by the sea, heard how... The Lord had dried up the waters of the Jordan before the sons of Israel until they had crossed, that their hearts melted, and there was no spirit in them any longer because of the sons of Israel. At that time, the Lord said to Joshua, Make for yourselves flint, for yourself flint knives, and circumcise again the sons of Israel the second time. So Joshua made himself flint knives and circumcised the sons of Israel at Gibeoth-Haraloth. This is the reason why Joshua circumcised them. All the people who came out of Egypt who were males, all the men of war died in the wilderness along the way after they came out of Egypt. For all the people who came out were circumcised, but all the people who were born in the wilderness along the way as they came out of Egypt had not been circumcised. For the sons of Israel walked forty years in the wilderness until all the nation, that is, the men of war who came out of Egypt perished because they did not listen to the voice of the covenant-keeping God to whom the Lord had sworn that He would not let them see the land which the Lord had sworn to their fathers to give us, a land flowing with milk and honey. Their children, whom he raised up in their place, Joshua circumcised. For they were uncircumcised because they had not circumcised them along the way. Now, when they had finished circumcising all the nation, they remained in their place in the camp until they were healed. Then the Lord said to Joshua, Today, I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. So the name of that place is called Gilgal to this day. While the sons of Israel camped at Gilgal, they observed the Passover on the evening of the 14th of the month of of the month on the desert plains of Jericho. On the day after the Passover, on that very day, they ate some of the produce of the land unleavened cakes, and parched grain. The manna ceased on the day after they had eaten some of the produce of the land, so that the sons of Israel no longer had manna, but they ate some of the yield of the land of Canaan during that year. Well, my goodness, what an interesting text. Several anomalies here that we need to take into account. Uh, notice this, this, this formulaic expression in verse number 1 of chapter number 5. It's really a, a, an exp, a, a formula that is used 
three other times in Joshua to mark off sections. So we'll see as we preach through this when that that, that formula in verse 1 is, is repeated that we're coming into a new section. So we're starting a section today that runs from chapter 5 to chapter 8. Now check out, again, you probably picked up when I read it in verse number 6. Uh, all of these pronouns are third person plural until it comes down to the end of that verse. To whom the Lord had sworn that He would not look. Let them see the land which the Lord had sworn to their fathers, look here, to give us. You see that? All of a sudden it changes to a, a second person plural. So the writer is including himself as the recipient of the promise that had been given to their fathers. Now look, they forfeited on it, but now it's laid at their feet. So I want to speak to you on this subject today. Going farther than our fathers. Because we are really in the same position as the writer of the narrative here in Joshua. There are some promises that God has made to our fathers that you know that are still on the table. I mean, they really are. And isn't it the purpose of each generation? Isn't our desire for our children to be able to have it better than we had it? And it was the desire of our fathers for us to have it better than they had it. I can't tell you how many stories I've listened to from my grandpa and from my daddy about how they had to walk uphill both ways to school in the snow barefoot. And son, look how good you've got it. I mean, you know how, how they exaggerate. But now, here's the question I want to put before you today. As it relates to going farther than our fathers, here's what we want to do. We want to be able to pick the ball up where it was left on the field by our fathers and advance that thing farther down the field towards the goal. That is the job of each successive generation of believers. To move the ball forward, to extend the kingdom, and to be able to widen the places on this earth where the gospel is proclaimed and where the kingdom of God exists. But now having said that, let me ask you a question. How many of you today believe that we are better off spiritually, morally, and ethically than our grandparents were? I agree with you. You see, somehow or another, we're not, we're not going farther down the field. We are backing up. It's almost like the referee has thrown a penalty flag and we keep getting 15-yard penalties marked off and all of a sudden we find ourselves backed up all the way against the start line. So what is it going to take for believers today to once again get on offense and start moving the ball downfield and start going farther than our fathers did? Start making spiritual advances like we've not seen. Because ladies and gentlemen, I want to tell you the sad news is we are regressing. And we ought to be progressing. I mean, can you imagine what your grandparents would think if they just happened to watch one nightly national newscast and see some of the topics that are discussed and some of the things that are dividing us today? They would say, my word, how in the world did y'all get there? So it's time for us as the people of God to do like these guys were doing in Joshua chapter 5, pick the ball up that our parents have fumbled and begin to move this thing successively down the field toward the goal line. Do you agree with that? Alright, so here we go. Notice what it takes for us to move the ball down the field and for us to go farther than our fathers. By the way, a subtitle you may want to put, put down, Being Victorious in the Battles of Life. There's your subtitle. Because look, these guys had stepped over into what God had promised them, but hear me, it was going to be a fight. They had battles ahead of them if they were going to move in and occupy what God had promised to give them. Now, I don't know about you, but that's pretty much how my every week looks, huh? 
I mean, when I look out at my week, it's a rat race. It's a battle. It is uphill. And if we're going to be victorious, and if we're going to go farther than our fathers ever did, then there's some things that we've got to do. And thank the Lord this narrative provides us insight into how to do that. Check out the first thing I think the Bible would say to us if we're going to go farther than our fathers. Number one, if we're going to be victorious in the battles of life, then friend, it requires moving when the time is right. When the time is right. Can I say to you that, man, that is probably 95% of this Christian journey. Because you know what? You really don't do anything. It's God who does it all. You're just walking alone. And the Bible tells us that we are to be in step with Him. We are to walk with the Spirit. We're not to be ahead of Him. We're not to be behind Him. We are to be synced with Him in step. So we've got to move when the time is ripe. Now look at verse number 1, this formula that I talked about that marks off these divisional uh, 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 breaks in the narrative of Joshua. Now it came about when all the kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan to the west, all the kings of the Canaanite who were by the sea, heard how Yahweh had dried up the waters of the Jordan before the sons of Israel until they had crossed, that their hearts melted and there was no spirit in them any longer because of the sons of Israel. I want to tell you, if the time has ever been right, it is right now. The hearts of the enemy had melted There was no longer any fighting spirit in them. Their knees had turned to jello. Their legs had turned to spaghetti. And they knew that their time was up and the time was right. You see, God had choreographed all of this. The Lord had been moving things about. And that's what God does as as the sovereign ruler of the universe. He's able to choreograph movements. He's able to orchestrate things. He's ordered to bring about plans, put this part into into being, this part into being. And after he's done all of that, he gets us right up to the point and says, now it's time. And most time we say, well, I don't know. Yeah, I need to pray about it. Well, what the heck? God's been working 400 years choreographing this moment, this on your plate that's in front of you right now. Did you realize that's how it is? I mean, stop and think about it. Stop and think about all the generations of believers who have lived since the beginning of time, all the way back to Adam and and, and all the way through the lineage of Seth. Stop and think about it. It was their responsibility to move the ball downfield. Now think of this as a movie screen. And this is what happens in eternity. Here's what time is. Time is just a parenthesis in all of eternity. You got eternity past over here, all of our forefathers. You got all our children, uh, future over here. And we are the ones on the stage right now. Right now, we're on the stage. What's going to happen in the future is largely dependent upon what we do in the present. We are up. We're no longer in the batter's box. I mean, in the on-deck circle, friend, we are in the batter's box. It's our turn at the plate. God has choreographed everything in our past for this moment right here. The time is right. He's been planning. He's been putting things into place. He's been choreographing. He's been orchestrating. And now it's time for you and me. The time is ripe to move into what He's promised. And what are we going to say? Well, Lord, I just don't know if we can do that or not. Notice what happens to folk who say that. They normally get consigned to the wilderness where they end up dying. And it's time for a generation in the United States of America to stand up and say, Yes, Lord, yes, Lord, yes, Lord, yes. We're going to take this ball and we're going to drive it down the throat of our enemies because now the time is ripe. Requires moving. Hey, here's what most folks think. Here's the, one of the biggest fallacies in spirituality today. Oh, I can do that anytime I want to. No, you can't. You do it when God orchestrates events and He invites you to join Him. That's when the time is ripe. Hey, you can say, oh, I'll put it off today and I'll do it next week. I promise you, you might as well spit in the face of God because the door's going to close and you probably won't have that opportunity again. 
requires moving when the time is ripe. Boy, if we could just get that down of saying yes when God says go. Saying no when God says don't. Walking in step with Him, we'd already be knocking on the door of our own goal line. So check out. To go further than our fathers, to be victorious in the battles of life, it requires moving when the time is ripe. God had put everything in place. And son, it's ripe. These kings are ripe for the picking because they're shaking in their shoes. They're scared to death. There's no more spirit in them. You break somebody's spirit and you got them, huh? That's what enemies have always tried to do in, in, when they take soldiers into enemy camp and, and their POWs. They try to break their spirit. And when you break somebody's spirit like these kings, boy, you've got them. But notice the second thing. Going farther than our fathers requires moving when the time is right. But first, some things must be made right. Verses 2 through 8 is going to outline some things that have got to be made right. Can I say to you that when you are going into battle, the single most important thing is that you are spiritually prepared. Hey, you can have a bunch of Herculean he-men on the front lines of a battle, but if they are not in fellowship with God, I want to tell you they amount to nothing more than a bunch of schoolgirls. God says, there's some things we got to make right. Listen to me, spiritual preparation. You will not be victorious in the battles that are ahead of you this week if you're not spiritually prepared for them. You will not. So there were some spiritual things that had to be taken care of. You see, the most important thing for us when we go into the battle is that we're walking in fellowship with the God who gives the victory. And if we're not walking in fellowship with Him because we've got issues in our life that haven't been resolved. There are things that we are walking blatantly against the commands of God then there's no sense in us expecting God to supernaturally intervene on our part because He says, I've done told you some things and you ignored them. So there's some things here that they've got to make right. Notice what it is. Man, it's something that absolutely may sound foolish. It may sound foolish. You know why? Man, we're talking about circumcising your entire army. So what do you do when you step when you when, when you draw a line in the sand like the Jordan River and all of a sudden they stepped across that line now they're in enemy territory first thing God says to you is hey Joshua we got some little issue here we got to take care of cuz y'all are not going to win a thing as long as y'all are walking out of fellowship with me and as long as y'all are disobedient to my commands y- y- y'all going y'all going to get routed you're going to get run out of here so here you are, Joshua, you're standing on enemy territory. You've stepped across the line, brother. Now I want you to circumcise all your fighting men. Take every one of them. Leave none of them out. They've got to be circumcised. Now son, if that don't sound foolish, I don't know what does. What? Circumcise your warriors. Now why does it sound foolish? Well, for two reasons. Number one because it would cause a delay. Do you know that you take your enemy out when he's on the ropes, right? You don't ever let your enemy get up. If you've got him down, you go ahead and take him out. I mean, that's just one of the primary principles of war. You don't let your enemy get up once you've knocked them down. Well, guess what? They were knocked down. Their, their hearts melted. God had taken spirit out of them. Now's the time. The time is ripe. Oh, but wait a minute. There's this issue of disobedience in y'all's lives. Y'all got to make some things right before we go into battle, boys. So here we go. Now, they're going to be circumcised and they got to wait till they're healed. That's going to cause a delay. So if y'all just sit over there twiddling your thumbs, you're going to give the enemy time, it seems like, to regain his confidence to come up with a battle plan, to come up with a strategy, you're just giving them more time. You never let your enemy off the ropes when you got him on the ropes and God had him on the ropes and now God says, but wait a minute. It's this matter of circumcision we got to take care of because you guys are in disobedience. And last thing you want to do is go into battle disobedient. Huh? Out of step with God. So 
it may sound foolish because it would cause a delay. But even more than that, it sounds foolish because it could cause disaster. It could cause absolute disaster. Now stop and think about this with me. Here they are in the wilderness. There are no operating rooms. There are no anesthetic drugs. There are no painkillers. There are no autoclaves, Dr. John. There are no sterilized instruments. There are no scalpels. There are no stitches. There is nothing except flint knives. Get this. There are no medical doctors there who are trained in this because this hadn't been done in 40 years, right? Nobody who's going to do it has ever done it before. So, Joshua, how are we going to do this? Well, I'm going to make some flint knives. And he's up there grinding down flint knives with a stone, huh? And he says, but Joshua, who's going to do it? We don't have a medical doctor. Well, I tell you what, old Billy Bob over there, he's probably skinned about a thousand goats that we've been offering, on the, on, uh, 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 offering to the Lord. He's our goat skinner. So now we're going to have circumcision by a dang goat skinner in the middle of the wilderness, huh? Now look here. I am so grateful to God that that practice is taken care of in the United States of America while we're infants and we don't know no better. Are, are you with me? Because hear me. You come at me with a flint knife headed in that region, I'm going to hurt the first four or five men that come. I'm just telling you, I'm going to hurt them. <laughs> That's all there is to it. We're not playing that. No, no. <laughs> I got a buddy in Brazil. Oh, look here. We've had over the over 20 years, we've had so many young students come that knew English. You know, in, in San Luis, there's a very, there's, you know, the English speakers are, are very small. Most of them would be high school students that are planning on studying somewhere, so they had to take English. We'll get them to come translate, and we have teams on the field. I bet you I've had five or six of our translators from over the past 20 years that have turned out to be medical doctors. One of them most recently uh, that became a, a medical doctor, one of our translators, while he was doing his internship, his residency in a hospital, the hospital chief of, of, of whatever in the hospital, the, the medical supervisors told him, they said, son, we can't force this upon you, but we would recommend very much in the sake of your practice as a physician that you would be circumcised. See, in Brazil, they don't do that. So now this kid's uh, 27, 28 years old, about to finish up a residency at a hospital, and the bigwigs say, you got to be circumcised if you're going to work here. If you're going to operate with us, you got to be circumcised. So he didn't have any choice. He doesn't have medical school behind him. He could either walk away from that and become a missionary. <laughs> and by the way, that's why we, I, think, I think that's why so many of them became medical doctors because they said, we ain't doing that missionary stuff. Uh-uh. So he didn't have any choice but to submit to circumcision. Now, I went by to see this brother after he had been circumcised. And I want to tell you, Jerry, it was the most pitiful sight I have ever seen. As a pastor, I've been in post-op situations in ICU where guys have just came out of open-heart surgery. This man was in worse shape than any open-heart surgery patient I've ever seen in my life. I mean, he was laid up, and when I come in, he said, Pastor Richie, whatever you do, do not bump this bed. <laughs> I said, what do you mean, brother? Why can't I sit down and talk to you for a minute? He said, do not move these sheets. I don't even have my fan blowing. It was 140 degrees in that room. Do not even move the sheets. I said, why can't we? Why can't? He said, because if this bed moves, it moves. <laughs> he said, and if it moves, I'm in excruciating pain, even more than I am right now. I'm telling you, that boy was in pain, huh? He was hurting. He didn't get over it very quickly. It was about a month before he was back to doing normal duties. So now, take that. I mean, he had the best of circumstances. Anesthesia, scalpels, sterile operating rooms. And this boy was laid up for a month. Now Joshua's out here in the middle of nowhere with flint knives with goat skin or billy bob and they about to circumcise all of their fighting men. Do you know what that's going to do to them? Hey, listen to me. Men, you know. I mean, all the men in here right now are going, 
Huh? They are going to be absolutely incapacitated. They can't move. Hey, my buddy said, turn the fan off, it's blowing the covers. <laughs> they ain't going to be fighting no time soon. Are you with me? All the enemy had to do was catch wind of the fact that the Israelites... <laughs> The Israelites are laid up, they're gimpy, they can't walk, they can't move, let's go and fall. They could have wiped out the entire nation right there. Now what am I saying to you? I'm saying to you that faith will automatically make you vulnerable. Huh? Faith will make you vulnerable. God builds it in that way. But here's what else faith does. It's impossible to please God without faith. And can I say to you, if you please God by doing what He says to do, by golly, He will supernaturally keep the enemy off of you. Huh? Who had you rather have protecting you? Your fighting men or God? And you see, faith had made them vulnerable. But faith also pleased God. So God kept them safe. It's almost like He put a wall of protection around them because God takes care of people who are walking in fellowship and obedience. And that's what He did. So notice some of the things that are going on here. Man, if they're going to go farther than their fathers, there's some things they got to make right. This passage is about circumcision which today corresponds to baptism. It's the sign of the covenant, right? And then they kept the Passover, which today corresponds to the Lord's Supper. So there you go. They were just simply being obedient. It may sound foolish. Son, it was a big deal. Why? Because victory requires faithfulness. Victory requires faithfulness. I can't tell you how many students I have counseled over the years that have great plans. Great plans of what they want to do when they get out of college and seminary. I mean, they are going to be the next Adoniram Judson, the next Billy Graham. But those same students who are planning on being victorious out there in the future won't even plug in to a local church and be faithful to God today. And can I say to you, there's no way you're going to be victorious in the future if you're not faithful today. Because victory requires faithfulness. Hey, is this a big deal? You better believe it's a big deal. My goodness. Here they are just about to go to war. And God says, no, there's some things we've got to get right. And by getting right, I mean you can't walk in disobedience and at the same time be in fellowship in step with me. So we got to make some things right that your fathers had been putting off. So in the midst of going farther than our fathers, let's take a little excursus. What do you say? Don't you like excursuses? Excurses. Yeah, we love an excursus. Here's why this has to be an excursus. Because it's something that really doesn't fit the flow. It's just kind of a parenthetical thought on what happened with their fathers. So how do you know if you're living in the wilderness? Because notice this. Here's the contrast. Their fathers who had came out of Egypt had enough faith to get out of Egypt, but they didn't have enough faith to cross over into the promised land. So God said, all right, you're going to die right here in the wilderness. So how do you know if you're one of those people that's living in the wilderness, not in fellowship with God? Well, verses 6 through 8 really give us insight into that. Here's how you know. Number one, you're living in the wilderness if you have an outward religious appearance. Look with me in verse number 5. All the people who came out were circumcised. What was circumcision? It was the outward sign of the covenant. But yet here they had the outward sign, but they died in the wilderness. Why? Because they had the outward sign only. God had not circumcised their hearts. 
they had not circumcised their hearts. They were walking out of fellowship with God Himself. So here's the reality. It's possible for you to be living in the wilderness, but yet have an outward appearance of religion. You can go to church every Sunday and still be living in the wilderness. You can have been baptized so many times that you've got swimmer's ear in both ears. And you're still living in the wilderness. You can go on mission trips and you can still be living in the wilderness. You can have all the outward signs, but friend, if there's not an inward transformation that has gripped your heart, then all you are is religious. It is absolutely possible to be associated with the flock, with the sheep, but have no relationship with the shepherd himself. And if that be the case, we're living in the wilderness. Number next, how do you know if you're living in the wilderness? You have an outward sign or you have an outward religious appearance. Man, I can't tell you. Can you just imagine how many folk today are in church because they're checking the box? Huh? They're there because somehow or another they know they're supposed to be there, but they could really care less about it. The Word has no impact on their life. They have no intention of being obedient to God. But by golly, their rear end is making an impression, making, making an impression on a church pew somewhere. And that's an outward appearance. Look at number two. Not only can you have an outward appearance and still be living in the wilderness, but you can enjoy God's physical provisions and be living in the wilderness. Notice I said physical provisions. Not spiritual, but physical. Now check this out. Look with me in verse number 12. That generation that was unfaithful to God and God said, okay, y'all want to live like that? Go ahead, I'm done with you. You're going to die in the wilderness. Notice what God continued to do. He continued to provide for their physical need even though He was done with them spiritually. So look in verse number 12. The manna ceased on the day after they had eaten some of the produce of the land. Do you see that? For 40 years the Lord God still fed them physical food. And you know what they would have done? Hey, if they would have been a Baptist and it would have been testimony night, here's what they would have done. They would have stood up and they would have given all of these physical reasons why God is good to them and why they're walking in fellowship with Him and why God is so pleased with them. Oh, Pastor Joshua, I'd just like to say that, you know, we're so grateful that our God has given us food to eat. Uh, Pastor Joshua, I'd just like to thank God because He's good because He's not caused my shoes to wear out in 40 years. I've been wearing the same pair of shoes ever since I came out of Egypt. Pastor Joshua, I would just think, like to thank the Lord. He's given us a good house to live in. Pastor Joshua, I'd like to thank the Lord because He's, he's given our, our, our children good health. Can I say you can have all of those physical blessings and still be living in the wilderness. In unbelief, outside of the pleasure of Almighty God. Because nothing spiritual was going on. Nothing spiritual. So just because God causes His rain to fall on the just and the unjust is no sign that God's pleased with us. Huh? God causes the sun to shine on everybody. Doesn't mean He's pleased with us. You see, it's when you get down to the spiritual blessings where you really say, this is how we know that we're walking in fellowship with God because we couldn't have this any other way. And friend, there's a lot of folk living in the United States of America thinks they're pleasing to God because they are better off financially than their fathers were. But listen to me. They are 10 or 11 generations spiritually behind where their forefathers were. Because they're going backwards. And all the time, the physical things, the money, the houses, the food, the cars, they point at and say, and see how pleased God is with us? 
and we're dying in the wilderness. Check out number next. How do you know if you're living in the wilderness? You have an outward appearance of religion. You can enjoy God's physical provisions and still be living in the wilderness, but the bottom line is you don't act like God's people. What do God's people do? They obey God's commands. For 40 years, there hadn't been a circumcision. Does that sound like obedience? does not. Think how much easier it would have been on them men of war had their moms and dad been faithful. Think how much easier it would be on our kids if we were to be faithful to God. Lord, have mercy. And then finally, you're living in the wilderness if you make no spiritual progress. You know, one of the things that missionaries do a whole lot better than pastors and, and usually churches and church work is evaluate. How much progress have we made spiritually? And if there's no progress, we go to changing strategies. But churches in the United States of America are content to make no progress and at the same time change nothing. It's insane. Who was it that said the definition of insanity is doing the same old thing, expecting to get a different result? So here they made absolutely no spiritual progress toward the goal of inhabiting and possessing the promised land in 40 years. But yet they would have sized themselves up as being God's favorite with the blessings of God on their life just because they had manna to eat and houses to live in and families spend time with. All right, let's take our excursion back to the main ship and park it and get back on board the main ocean liner. Going farther than our fathers requires moving when the time is right. But first, some things must be right. And then next, it requires separation from our reproach. Look at this. Verse number 9. After they did this, after they were obedient, look what the Bible says. Then the Lord said to Joshua, Today I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. Now friend, what in the world was the reproach of Egypt? Well, all we can do is describe it here. I don't know if we can really define it, but we certainly can describe it based on the implications of this text. And Cliff hit it out of the park this morning. I think here's what it was, the reproach of Egypt. What were they in Egypt? They were slaves. So everybody around looked at them as being nothing more than mere Egyptian slaves. Who are y'all? Y'all are just nothing more than bond servants of Pharaoh. Y'all were sold into slavery for 400 years. So what that gave them is the same thing Cliff talked about in Sunday school was a slave's mentality. And a slave's mentality is pretty puny. Pretty puny. You know why I know? Because I fight against it every day of my life. Thinking that I don't deserve any better because I know where I came from. Thinking that God can't use me because I know what I've done. I know where I've been. Hey, even after Heather and I had been in this journey for... Matter of fact, it was... 2000 and I don't know, alt-something when we were getting ready to move to Brazil as faith missionaries. The only thing that we really had in this world that had a note attached to it was a bay boat. Because for 12 years I've been pastoring in Hilliard, Florida living on a corner lot downtown. Can you imagine cooping me up for 12 years on a corner lot? The only thing I had to get out was a boat. So we'd get that boat and, and, and we, were, we were wild and free, babe. And look, we, we love that thing, but when God called us to missions, here's what I have learned about being in ministry for all these years, and now I'm going into missions as a faith missionary. I know you've got to live lean. You can't carry a whole lot of debt and do this. You just cannot. So I began to think, the only thing we got, baby's got a note attached to it, is this boat. We've got to get rid of this boat. We've got to get shed of it. Remember, I'm living in a boating community, Nassau County, Amelia Island, Fernandina Beach. Everybody over there is a fisherman or wants to be a fisherman, and everybody wants the Skeeter Bay boat that I had. So I had several guys in my church who worked right over there in that 
fishing community. Some of them uh, had businesses and storefronts, and we made flyers of that that Skeeter bass, uh, that Skeeter Bay boat. They said, "Look, this thing will be gone for what you're asking for it. It'll be gone in a day." We put that thing up, and it would not sail. It would not sail, Cliff. I mean, it was to the point that I thought, dear God, what is going on? And one day it hit me right between the eyes. It was almost as if God said, Son, do you think that I'm so broke that I can't call you to missions and you're walking by faith and me not be able to take care of a $258 boat note that you've got? And to this day, I'm a firm believer that God closed the door, would not let me sail that boat. Why? In order to get me to be a missionary that didn't have a slave's mentality thinking that my God was broke. One of the greatest lessons I've ever learned. And here God says, I'm going to roll the reproach of Egypt off of you. See what the reproach is? It's that mentality of thinking that you can't. You don't deserve it. God won't do this for you. And once they got right with God, started walking in fellowship with Him, listen to me. Listen what the text says. Yahweh said in verse number 9, Today I have rolled the reproach of Egypt off of you. So let me give you three things about this reproach. Number one, a reproach is usually something that's a constant reminder. You can't forget who you are, what you've done, where you've been, who you've done it with. And for that reason, you think you can't. And here's what needs to happen. When you get obedient to the Lord, start walking in fellowship with Him, let me tell you what God does to that mentality. He rolls it away, Jamie. He puts it so far back that you don't even remember it. And He rolls it away. Good God in heaven. We need some reproach rolling, don't we? Huh? Because here we are trying to be victorious around the globe and we got a dang slave's mentality. Living under the curse of reproach. And God says, I don't know if you're going to be able to do it with that reproach on you. And God would take it away if we just get right with Him. You can't do it. But God says, I'll take it away. You won't even think about it anymore. Hey, this is what a reproach is. Have you ever felt the burden of that stuff on you so heavy that you just felt like you couldn't take it, put another foot in front of the other? And all of a sudden, God lift that burden off of you. You feel like a bird. You feel like you're going to fly, right? You think, if I don't put a brick bat in my pocket, my feet are going to leave the ground. And that's what God does when He rolls the reproach away because this stuff is heavy. It's heavy. It holds us down. It won't let us soar. It won't let us go farther than our fathers because it's heavy and it holds us down. And God said, once they had made it right with Him, they're walking in obedience. God says, today, I've rolled the reproach away. So, number one, that reproach is a constant reminder. Something that nags at you. Shouts you down. Tells you you can't because. But number two, it gives considerable resistance. Resistance to what? Hey, visualize it like this. Man, if I didn't think I'd tear something up. Look at here. I'm going to plug this right back in in a minute, all right? Hope the lights don't go out. Here's the visual picture that that reproach gives us. There's a big old stone back here that's gigantic. It's a boulder. And somehow or another, God is calling you to go further than your fathers ever did, but there's a gigantic rope tied to that gigantic stone, and it's around your waist. And the farther you get out, about the time you get to where your father's was, guess what? You hit the end of your leash. Boop! And there you are. And you can't go any farther because you have hit the end of the rope. That's resistance, son. Keeps pulling you back. Keeps pulling you back. And the reason we're regressing is because we haven't got right with God and the reproach is still there. He hasn't rolled it away. And we've got so much resistance and so much weight that we can't get out of the tracks of our daddies. But when you get right, this is what happens. 
That reproach is a constant reminder. It gives considerable resistance. And number three, only God can remove it. You can go to every 12-step program known to man. And here's what it's going to teach you. You will always be an addict. Anybody ever heard that? You will always be an addict. What's the problem with that? God's Word says, no, you're not. You're not an addict anymore. You're not an alcoholic. You're not a druggie. You're not addicted to opioids. It's not any of that stuff. You are now a child of God. That's a different identity. That's a different mentality. And only God can do that when He rolls a reproach away. See, that stone's too big for you. That stone's too big for me. They can't nobody roll that away. Nobody can get that monkey off your back except God. And here's when God does it. Look what He says. Today I have rolled, rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. So significant until the name. So the name of that place is called Gilgal. It's a kind of a, 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 a morphing of the verb which means to roll away. Put in a noun form. And they named that place that. They named it Gilgal to roll away. You know why? Because Sunday walked away from there that day. Different people. They walked away that day with a spring in their step. They walked away from there that day with a different mentality, with a different vision of the future. They walked away from that day thinking, hey, you know what? This is a slam dunk. Our daddy said it can't be done. What was wrong with them? This is a piece of cake for God. They walked away from there that day victorious simply because they'd done business with God. Notice the next thing, and I'm done. After all this, after God rolls away the reproach, look at verses 10 through 12. I think this is significant. While the sons of Israel camped at Gilgal, they observed the Passover. There's the other element of of obedience. On the evening of the 14th day of the month, on the desert plains of Jericho. On On the day after the Passover, on that very day, they ate some of the produce of the land. Look at verse number 12. Manna ceased so that the sons of Israel no longer had manna, but they ate some of the yield of the land of Canaan. When all that takes place, here's what we do. Then we enjoy the fruit of righteousness. The fruit of righteousness. You know what takes place when, when, when somebody finally gets right with God? Now, look, I'm talking about believers. I'm not talking about unbelievers. I'm not talking about folks who've never been saved. I'm talking about believers who sure enough are the people of God but just not acting like it, maybe living in the wilderness. You know what happens when that person starts being obedient and taking care of things that God says need to be taken care of? Man, then you start eating some of the fruit of righteousness. Now listen, that righteousness is not your own. That righteousness is His righteousness. You're just now in fellowship with Him and now you can enjoy the fruit of righteousness. Because now you're walking in step with Him. It's kind of like this. I've got several enterprises, you know, that I've been involved in on the side all throughout my preaching and ministry career. And I never felt comfortable with any of those enterprises until they started sustaining themselves. Are you with me? For example, bought a bulldozer several years ago because, you know, diesel smoke's in my blood. I couldn't sleep at night until that bulldozer started paying for itself. (laughs) When it starts paying for itself, I think, yeah, it's going to do it. I bought a few cows not long ago. I'm not content in my spirit until I see that those cows start paying for themselves and making a profit. I'm just not. And you see, that's the idea of enjoying the fruit of the land and enjoying the fruit of righteousness. Because here's what happens. When you get right with God by faith, your faith feeds your soul. So it just does. And I want to tell you, what you take in from the fruit of righteousness, what you take in is the fruit of obedience, is more sustaining and filling to your soul than anything you have ever eaten while you were living in the wilderness. As a matter of fact, in the wilderness, they used to complain about that man all the time, didn't they? 
My gosh. This is the most tasteless stuff we've ever had. Wish I had one of them cucumbers we used to have back in Egypt. Huh? <laughs> Pretty tasteless. But son, when you start eating the produce of your own faith and obedience, you know what it does? It causes you to say, man, if it's that good and I'm just inside the promised land, how much better is it going to be if I get a mile deep? How much better is it going to be when I get 10 miles deep? Because you're enjoying the fruit of righteousness. You're eating the fruit of your faith. And you see, that's how you really know, you really know that you're walking with God. Because then obedience is not a chore at all because you know it's going to produce the fruit of righteousness. Here's how you know you're living in the wilderness. When obedience is like driving bamboo shoots under your fingernails and you just can't get it right. You do it one time out of religious obligation and then you skip out on it for X number of days, weeks, or months. But let me tell you somebody who really gets it. Man, they can't wait to take the next bite out of that fruit. And they know that it only happens through obedience. Because then my faith enterprise starts paying for itself. It starts rewarding my soul. And it builds me up. It doesn't pull me down. It builds me up. It strengthens me. It edifies me. It makes me stronger. It gives me more motivation. It makes me want to go. Those are the folk who have the fruit of righteousness dripping out the corners of their mouth. Hey, God's called us to go farther than our, than our fathers. God's called us to be victorious in the battle. What things must we make right before the battle ensues? Because once we start fighting, it's too late. Let's get them right now. Would you stand with me, please? Father in heaven, thank you for your word. Thank you, God, that you have called us to abundant life to a land that is flowing with milk and honey, to a brighter future, to a preferred future, to something that's better than we can ever imagine. But God, we also realize that we're not going to get too deep in it unless we are obedient today. So I pray, God, that whatever you have said to us, no matter how foolish it may seem, that we'll trust you, we'll abandon our plans, and we'll embrace yours. I pray for those who are here today that, God, you've been speaking to them. The time is ripe. God, could today be the day they take that step of faith and they make some things right with you. I pray for those who are here today that maybe just have an outward sign of religion, but they've never really been born again. Oh, God, could today be the day that they come to you in faith? I pray for those whom you're speaking to about ministry and and missions and church membership and all of those things that seem to see, seem to loom large over us and because the reproach of Egypt is on us, we think we can't do it. God, today with simple obedience, I pray you'll roll that reproach away and we'll leave this place walking a little bit lighter toward the goal line, advancing the ball downfield. God, whatever you've said today, may obedience not be understated. And may we follow you no matter how foolish it seems for your honor and glory. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Dr.